This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, before the show starts, I want to tell you that Varvet International is made in cooperation with Stutterheim Raincoats. It's Swedish melancholy at its driest. It's fantastic quality in these raincoats, and I think you'll really love them. Go check out stutterheim.com and find your favorite raincoat. Just do it. That's stutterheim.com. S-T-U-T-T-E-R-H-E-I-M.com. Now, let the show begin. When I was growing up and starting in this business, I was classified as not all-American, which was code for you don't have white features. Hello, this is Christoph Triumph, and this is the 15th episode of Varvet International. I'm not sure that you have noticed, but this show has been coming every week since August. It's fantastic. My interviews have been very well received, if I may say so myself. So thank you all for listening, and thank you all my guests. Uh, Wonderful that you have spread the word about the show. Now, however, I have to take a little time off. Don't worry, the show will and must go on. But instead of every week, it will come every other week. That was the plan from the beginning, but I was so eager to get Varvet International out there that I couldn't hold my horses, so to speak. So, from now on and until further notice, you'll get a new episode every other week. So, make sure that you subscribe in your podcast app or device or however you listen to this rss is something that you can use itunes a cost pod kicker i don't know thank you so much for subscribing that makes our relationship so much easier my guest this week is american actress adina porter and let me tell you right off the bat that this is one of the greatest talks i've ever had i loved her and you might or might not recognize her name and or face she played tara's horrible mother letty may thornton in true blood and she also plays kendra in the newsroom and she's also on the hundred a new tv series i've just seen a few episodes and it seems uh, promising And this is her most famous part, but she was also in The Social Network, and Sorkin did both that and The Newsroom, so it seems like he has a thing for her. 
And she has also guest starred in like 20 TV series such as uh, CSI, Grey's Anatomy, Saving Grace, ER and so forth. And even if I was uh, perhaps most curious about her roles in the newsroom and True Blood and so forth, our conversation became so much bigger and greater than just about her work. This is a fantastic strong person who quite recently lost the love of her life. So I'll soon roll the tape, but before I do that, I'll have to excuse myself for the poor sound quality the first minute or so. Bear with me, it's going to get better after just uh, 90 seconds or something. So recorded in Laurel Canyon like 10 days ago in Los Angeles, here's Adina Porter. I know you are a mother, I'm a father, I... My heart aches from longing for my son now. How old is your son? He just turned six. He's super cute now, and he has really <laughs> long hair. We should give him a haircut, but we sort of... Oh, beautiful. Thank you. So full disclosure, my turn. I'm going to show you my babies. Oh, that's... <laughs> Please do. How old are you? My son is seven. And my daughter is four. Oh, that's wonderful. I have this bathtub in my backyard. Ooh, that's that's a good picture of my little girl. Here's the two of them together. They like to play outside in there, too, with their water guns and those kind of things. Yeah, of course. Those are my babies. They're super cute. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. They're good people, too. And uh, so, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing, but it's also challenging because I think because, um, you know, you got to be patient and um, and sometimes I've learned uh, got to pick your battles. And yeah. So it's uh, it's tough. Do you live uh, with their father? Their father passed away, oh, which makes it even doubly tough, tough. About 18 months ago, my husband had a heart attack after working out at the gym. So out of the blue like that. He died. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear Thank you. He was an amazing man, an amazing husband, an amazing father. And so uh, we still very much feel his energy. And we are a, um, a resilient people. But, uh, yeah, sometimes life does that to you. How old was he? He was 55. Okay. So he wasn't a baby, but he wasn't an old man either. No. So... And he wasn't a drug addict. He was working out of the gym. <laughs> so uh, sometimes those things happen. I heard that you lost your father as well this year. Yes, my father. But my father was 86. It made absolute sense. My husband was taking care of my father. Yeah. My husband was, um, while I was working, he was bathing my father and things like that. Yeah, That's yeah. the kind of man my husband was. Yep. Yep, I'm losing men left and right. But it's life. It's, it's, it's life, you know? And I also know people, and maybe you do too, who don't know what it's like to be madly in love or to have someone madly in love with you. So um, if I have to pick between never feeling pain and never feeling grief or 13 years of a magnificent relationship, I pick the 13 years. Do you believe in God? I believe in a higher power. I believe in energy. 
I don't know if I believe in any particular organized religion. I mean, I was raised AME, African Methodist Episcopal. So when the S-H-I-T hits the fan, oh my God, it's going to come out of my mouth. But I don't believe I'm going to see my husband again in heaven or any place like that. I still dream about him. And so that's how I feel like I experience him. And I choose every time something positive happens to me out of the ordinary or if I forget to do something and then somehow or another I remember to do it, I feel like that's my husband going, okay, come on, Adina, I got you. Do that. Do that. So that's how I interpret it. I guess you can't speak about luck or unluck and so forth, but I mean, you must have had one of the worst years I've ever heard of, loss-wise. You know, I have not labeled it that because I still experience my husband and maybe I am fooling myself, but I feel like I'm pretty lucky that I can still experience my husband. Yeah. My husband was a man who told me he loved me every single day to the point where I was like, oh, I'm not going to pick up the phone because it's just Madison telling me he loves me. (laughs) I mean, that's how cavalier I was about how much he loved me. And I still feel that. Yeah. And my kids are happy and amazing in school. And I'm a lucky person. Yeah. I have been loved. I still feel loved. And I do what I loved. I'm a lucky person. Do you have support around you? Well, I have two sisters, one older, one younger. They both live on the East Coast in New York. And how they have been amazingly supportive is that my father was living with us when my husband passed away. And they swooped in and um, took daddy. And my mom, our mom is still alive. And so they basically said, Adina, Our job is to take care of our parents. Your job is to take care of Jack and Jordan. You take care of the future generation, we'll take care of the past. That's a lot of work. Elderly parents, downsizing, family dynamics, all of that drama. And sometimes I feel guilty that I am getting made up to walk a red carpet and then go to a premiere and drink champagne. And my sisters are packing up a house, are looking at nursing homes, are planning funerals, all that heavy duty stuff. And I get to live my life, take care of my kids and continue to have my career. So in that way, I'm incredibly supportive. I also have an amazing au pair who kind of we found from another actor. I was doing the newsroom when my husband passed away and Emily Mortimer happened to be interviewing au pairs. I did not tell anyone at work what had happened just because denial is an amazing thing and I just wanted to go to work and work. But she happened to be talking about au pairs My ears perked up and I said, 
I think I need an au pair. And she said, well, you better grab this one because she's really amazing. And I'm trying to decide between A and B. And I think we're going to go with B. So you should take A. And I didn't interview anyone else. Called her up, explained our situation. She said, yes. Boom. And she has been a lifesaver to us. And I think that's, again, the universe where my husband just kind of taking care of us. And I'm also lucky, too, as an actor. Okay, you work many hours, long hours for a couple of months. And then I'm a stay-at-home mom. There are people in my support group who do not have those options. So uh, then again, you know. I'm very lucky. Can I ask you, what, what's a support group? Support group. Support group. So there's an amazing place called Our House, and okay. it is a counseling service for grief. I mean, in the United States, talking about death is still kind of like a tab- taboo because we're lucky or fortunate or just most people here either die of old age or cancer does come and people do lose their parents, is not as often as it happens in other places. I mean, my father is from Sierra Leone, West Africa. I've spent a lot of time traveling around West Africa where I'll talk to women and they'll tell me I have five children, two alive and three dead. So, I mean, that's just a conversation that you have, but you don't really have that in the States. Death is not something you talk about. So our house is an amazing place where... You can go and you talk with other people who are in the same situation that you're in. So my kids are in support groups with other children their age because people die of cancer. People die of heart attacks. People die of riding a bike and just hitting the wrong rock at the wrong time and hitting your head. So when that happens and you're talking to other six, seven, eight-year-olds or in my daughter's case, other four-year-olds, they all grieve and they all figure out a way to crystallize memories, coping skills, and and that they're not the only ones. So that this does not become the definition of their lives. It's just a horrible event, but an event. And uh, we just continue to grow from it. And, and, and other widows and widowers So it's run by volunteers, and it's just a great place to share one's feelings, all the different kind of feelings that one can have when one is experiencing the passing of a spouse. And I just, uh, it's, I cannot say enough about it. No, it sounds fantastic. It is. It is. <clears throat> I hope that we have something similar in Sweden. I'm not sure. I don't know. I hope so. How are you today? I'm magnificent. My kids are in school. I got a chance to work out beforehand. After this interview, I've got a couple of Christmas shopping things to do. Oh, already? And, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a little prepared. So, Are I, you buying gifts or? Santa Claus stuff. I don't think my children are going to hear. So, yeah, Santa Claus stuff. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. You know, every year with Christmas, I kind of try to think of a, a theme of what Santa Claus is going to bring. And this year, for some strange reason, I think Santa Claus is bringing board games. So there's some classic board games that are just so much fun to play, like Twister, that uh, I happen to see. And um, so that's what I'm, I'm preparing. Okay. So you don't have to do it last minute. No, which is, you know, I, I don't want to even... 
I took my husband and mother-in-law to Macy's 34th Street many, many years ago on Christmas Eve just because it's an experience. Yeah. You, 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 you've got to have that experience. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think either one of them who are California folks knew that crowds could be like that. The crowds, the, the, the merchandise, the lights, the line for Santa Land. Yeah, you know, it's great to experience it as, a, as like a, a cultural event, not to try to shop. Okay, yeah, I understand. And you said that you've been working out. Yes. How do you do that? A lot of cardio. Okay. Today I did the Stairmaster, because I have a butt and I like to keep it high. I also <laughs> uh, lift weights. I lift low weights and multiple repetitions, lunges. I do a lot of calisthenics, and I also either begin or end with some yoga stretches. But I think I probably need to do more yoga stretches because I don't breathe as much as I probably should. I mean, you look, I'm sorry if this is objectifying, but it looks like you're in great shape. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I think it's really great for one's head to feel good about one's body whatever definition you happen to have for it. And it makes it a little bit easier going into an audition if you feel fierce. And I'm doing a show right now called The 100, where I get to play a warrior. And I have battle scars, and I have an outfit that you can't be dainty in. You have to strut when you're wearing this. And I get to do fights and things like that. So it's great to be limber. It's It's... It's great to feel physically good. And my four-year-old, I still pick her up. So, you know, you got to have arms for that, too. I carry my six-year-old around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, my wife does anyway. He can walk himself, you know. But, but they but, like to be carried. Yeah, and it's so nice. And you know what? Yeah. We're not going to be able to carry him forever. No, I know. So let's M maybe enjoy Maybe we'll, we'll cherish it mm -hmm. when we can. Yeah. And when they're 16 and they don't want to talk to us, we'll have these memories of when we used to be able to carry them and smell their hair and kiss them like, very easily. Oh, you can't talk about that stuff. I'm going to cry. <laughs> But I get to see him on Sunday. Okay. <clears throat> so you go to a gym? Yes. And you, you, you do your workout by yourself? You don't have a personal trainer? I had a personal trainer. Okay. An amazing personal trainer. I've had a, a few of them in my lifetime. But with a work schedule, when I have to kind of get up and go, I pick up all these little different tricks and different exercises that are good for my body from these various different trainers so that when I'm at the hotel gym, I can just work out. And then when I'm away working, when I come back, I really can't take time away from the kids to work out. So I work out when they're in school. Or, or over the weekends. How much time do you spend working out every week? When the schedule is normal, like kids are in school and all that kind of stuff, I'll work out maybe about four times a week. For an hour? An hour, 45 minutes. If I'm working, I will arrive at the gym maybe, I'll give myself half an hour, so 20 minutes of cardio, 10 minutes to get dressed, and then rush off to work so that I at least have gotten my body started before work. And that was zero minutes for showering. 
Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to work, they're going to make you up. Okay. So all you got to do is, you know, wash off the funk and put on deodorant. Okay. <laughs> all right. And you're from New York originally, I'm born and the, raised? I'm from the Bronx, yes. Okay. What was that like growing up? You're, you were born in 1971. <laughs> New York. I mean, I'm told it was a rough neighborhood. And it must have been a rough neighborhood. I mean, I grew up in the projects. It was before crack. So I didn't have to step over any drunken people or whatever, or high people going to, coming, coming from and going to school. I didn't have to deal with the rodents. My parents kept a very strong, very a very keen eye on us. So my mother walked us to school every day. And then when I went to high school, my father drove me to school every day, all of our siblings. So we were watched constantly to make sure that we were doing something constructive, talking to the right people, staying away from the wrong people. So I had very, I think, interesting, amazing childhood. But yeah, it was a ghetto. It was the time of the Bronx burning. It was lots of graffiti. We didn't go trick-or-treating, but You know, I can go down to Manhattan and go to a Broadway show. I had these amazing museums to go to. I think when I went to college and I met people who grew up up in the suburbs and all they did was go to the mall on the weekend, I'm glad that I had my experience instead of that one. So you were, you can't say that you were middle class. Well, that's kind of weird. Because my father worked for Mercedes-Benz. So we got a new Mercedes-Benz every year to drive. So I would be driven to high school in a Mercedes-Benz. My mother was raised in Bermuda. So every summer we would go to Bermuda. We would drive to Cape Cod to go to summer vacation for a week in Cape Cod. So in one way, we did incredibly middle-class things, dance class, acting class, Cape Cod, Bermuda, driving a Mercedes-Benz, but then we would come back home to the projects. And I think it was because mom and dad couldn't get their act together to buy a house in the suburbs, only because they just fought a lot. So they stayed together, but they fought a lot. And then they finally did get the house in the suburbs a week before I went to college. Okay. How did you afford uh, college or they, they paid for it? I paid for college, but not because they couldn't afford to, to send me to college. I paid for college because I wanted to study theater. And you can't ask your parents. I don't think you could ask your parents. If you ask them to pay for anything or your college, then they get to decide what your major is going to be. So huh. I wanted my major to be theater. I chose to go to the State University of New York College of Purchase. So it was the first year they paid, but I was able to get various different grants and, and loans. I worked as a resident assistant, meaning that I was in charge of all the kids in my dorm. And so that way I got free housing. 
And then every summer I worked and I made enough money to pay for schooling. Before that, you went to public school? Totally. Yeah. High school performing arts. Okay. So the fame school. Ah, okay. And yes, we danced during lunchtime. Yeah, you mm -hmm. did? Yep. And that was sort of the same era as well. Yeah. Wasn't it? Uh-huh. Because I'm born in 74 and I'm from Sweden, but we had fame. We had fame on television. I would say that I'm perhaps slightly too young to really... I, I remember a guy called Leroy. Oh, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think he was super fantastic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Good looking, perhaps. Not sure. I'm trying to remember all the... From the movie or from the TV show? From the TV show. Okay. It was a movie first and then it... And then, and then the TV show. And I can't remember if all the actors from the movie did the TV show. But yep. I'll Google okay. Leroy. Fame. Leroy. Yeah. Gene Anthony Ray was his real name. Okay. Oh, he died in 2003. Oh. But he was young. Yeah. What is that? Why did he die? I, I don't know. See, life happens. It's crazy nonsense. Look at him. Isn't he fabulous? Yes, yes, yes. Those were the days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so that's where you, where you went mm -hmm, in high mm -hmm, school. Mm -hmm. how, how old are you when you're going to high school? High school is 15 to 18. What was it like that? You were singing, dancing, no, acting? No, acting. There's a music, a music department, a dance department, and an acting department. And then when everyone merged uh, the visual arts, music and art from uptown also moved. So we were all there together. It was wonderful. It was um, exploring scenes. It was uh, a self-exploration. So one would know how to tap into one's emotions to bring to scenes. There was a, a support group then too. You know, that whole, um, the unexplored life isn't worth living, Socrates you know, quote. So it was all that. I feel incredibly lucky. I got to go to PA. Yeah. LaGuardia. Had you been acting before that as well? Yeah. I, uh, I had acting classes from Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly McQueen, she played Prissy in Gone with the Wind. She was a member of my church in Harlem. So she had acting classes for kids in the basement of the church. So it was for the Christmas pageant and for the Easter pageant and things like that. But that was my first acting experience. Okay. At what age did you start doing that? Oh, gosh. I guess maybe five, six, uh -huh. you know, whatever time you get. You know, you're, you're in Sunday school and then it's time for the, the Christmas pageant, you know, and things like that. So you, you get trotted out, you know, and you're on, you're on the stage and, you know. That kind of thing. Do you remember your first role? I don't remember performing it. Oh, gosh, maybe I do. We did a production of Pearly Victorious in junior high school. And I had a solo in that. The guidance counselor thought I was interesting enough and thought I should audition for the high school performing arts. So I guess that was my first role. I don't remember what I did in this show, but it was big. When I was 19, I, I, I grew up in a really, really small town in Sweden with like 12,000 inhabitants and really nothing going on. 
And then at 19, I got to move to another part of the country. And it was such a fantastic feeling to sort of start fresh. Nobody had any expectations of me. Nobody had any sort of, what's that word, like pre... Preconceptions. Of who I was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I could sort of reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. I could really be whomever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Did you have a similar experience in college or in high school for that matter? Hmm. Maybe in college, because in college was the first time where I was not being watched 24-7 by my parents. Okay, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that freedom. And then when summer break came, I made sure that I did not go back home, not because I didn't want to go back to the Bronx, just because I really enjoyed my freedom. And that's when I would pick different countries to go to and find a job and and work there. So I was a maid in uh, Kandersteg, Switzerland. I was Uh a bartender in London. I just, I had my Eurail pass. I'll get up and go and travel. Yeah. So you've been through all Europe or? Most of Europe, a lot of West Africa. I've been to Australia. I have not explored Asia. Okay. You haven't even been to Asia? No, not yet. It's coming. Yes, yes. I can imagine that. A job, packing up my kids and myself and going off. That sounds fabulous, right? It depends. (laughs) Asia is a really large continent. Yes, 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 yes. Not if you end up in Gulag. I guess that's in in That's Russia, yeah. Yeah, in northern Russia. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Gulag, Ellis Island, not Ellis Island, Rikers Island. There's many places where you don't want to end up. (laughs) No, but it's. I'm sure it can be nice. It's a it's a large continent. Mm -hmm. Perhaps Mm -hmm. the biggest one they uh, did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They made. I'm not sure who made it, but Uh, someone did. Yeah, and we did this last semester with my son far as the continents are concerned, so I'm sorry, Mrs. Dante, if I'm not remembering exactly the largest continent, but I think you're right. I think it is Asia. I actually bought a puzzle for my son <laughs> with all the states of the U.S. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. in perhaps one or two weeks, you can interrogate me about <laughs> all of them. Wow, that's a lot. Well, 50, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. When did Hawaii uh, and Alaska become U.S.? <laughs> I'm guessing, I think the 50s. It uh, might have been a commonwealth and not a state. I don't know. Uh-huh, okay. Let's Google that. Okay. <laughs> Hawaii. Have you been to Hawaii? No. Okay. It's the newest of the 50 states. You are perfectly right. It was the 21st of August, 1959. Oh, 59. Oh, that was, I just made it. That's wonderful. Was that a country of its own before that? Well, you know, that's a bit of a history there. Because if I remember correctly, it was a country of its own. It had many different, maybe chieftains. And then sugar came Mm -hmm. to Hawaii. The sugar companies talk about like colonialism and, and, and plantations and kind of taking over. And I think... There was a lot of money in that, and and somehow that's why it became a state. And there was quite a few people who did not want it to be a state because they didn't want it to be one big, gigantic sugar plantation. 
But it, it seems like a f- really fantastic place. Actually, it had, it seems to have been a country of its own. Hawaii has been American since 1898. However, it wasn't a, a state until 1959. Why haven't you been there? You know, it was a goal of my husband and mine. We wanted to hit a certain some 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 goals and then all go as a family to Hawaii and we just hadn't hit those goals yet. So, it's on the to-do list. I've got some other things I I want to do first and maybe when my kids are a little bit older, you know, we can we can spend a holiday in Hawaii. There's a lot of history here. So maybe we should talk about you instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's an idea. Okay, sounds have. good. Yeah. Since I've never been to Hawaii and I don't know a lot about Hawaiian history, it's just a couple of things that I remember from some interviews I've heard. So you were super watched growing up by your parents. Are you sort of happy for that now? Yes. I guess so. Are you like that with your children as well and, and will you be? Well, you know what? It's a different. Well, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I, I was going to go with a stereotypical answer. It's a different time. My husband grew up in a time when he was told, you know, they just opened up the back door and the kids just ran outside and they played with the neighborhood kids and they just had to come back before dark, and they did things that you know they could very have easily have been killed by building some ridiculous fort or something in a in a water tunnel or things those kind of things or get hit by a car or some kind of nonsense like that but that wasn't my experience you know he was a suburban kid i was a city kid so city kids you didn't just open the door and say run outside and go do your thing now my kids and i live in i guess the suburbs so of um, los angeles of los angeles in altadena a, a lovely community So my neighbors, we all know each other. So I have opened up my door and said to my son, "Okay, you can go over to that house. You can play there." And then I open up my doors and those kids come to my house, but we all kind of stay in the block. I make sure I introduce myself to the families that my children are running in and out of their homes and check out those homes before my kids run in and out, in and out of them but my son also is just seven, so it's only you know this is a new kind of a play date situation play date still for my four year old and recently for my seven year old is that you make a date with the mother or the father and then you all go over and you chat with the parent while the children play And now with my son, it's also about dropping them off at a friend's house and they play, or saying to those parents, "Drop them off at my house and then they play." So I think my children do have more freedom than I did, but it's also I think because my parents worked nine to five or more like seven to seven. Monday through Friday. So if we weren't in school and we weren't in daycare or an after-school program, they had to make sure we were somewhere because they were working. I have a little bit more freedom, so I have to figure out activities for my kids. 
do you plan to stay in California for their whole upbringing? My goal is to have them do high school in New York. Okay. Why is that? I want my kids to also be New Yorkers. I want my kids to feel incredibly comfortable in a large city. I want my kids to know the subway like the back of their hand. Because you do. Because I did. I think it's a great skill to have. So while they're young and have tons of energy and need to run around, it's great to have a backyard. When they're older and they don't need to run around as much, but I want them to know all different kinds of people and have different kinds of experiences, then maybe we can, it would be beneficial for us to be in an apartment and they can ride up and down the elevator and meet people in different areas. And also, you know what? I would love for my kids to be 16 and 17 and rely on the subway and not the car. I can sleep better that way. Yeah. What would it mean for you career-wise to that be... That mean I'm doing a show in New York, which would be fantastic. Yeah. Because, I mean, that has been sort of a little bit back and forth. All television and all movies were done here like 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. But that's shifting. Yeah, or? a lot. Because yeah. of New York tax breaks, a lot of shows are being uh, shot in New York. Okay. The beginning of my career was in New York, all theater and television. And now out here in Los Angeles, it's, it's, it's television and, and film. So to be able to go back to New York to do a TV show, to do, to do theater, heaven. Yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you. And this might be a little bit personal, but okay. what happened to your nail? My nail? Your fingernail. That's my birthmark. Oh, I was is. born like that. Okay. My great-grandmother had the exact same finger. Oh, she did? Yeah. Can I see it? Sure. Oh, wow. You have double nails on your, what's this called? Pointer. Pointer. Pointer of my left hand. Okay. Yep. That's very, very special. Yes, it's my birthmark. The smaller one, it looks like, like two little eyes on my, on my uh, pointer finger nail. It can snag stockings. It can snag sweaters. It was my father's job always while growing up to trim it <laughs> so that he always kept an eye on it that way. When I was younger, I told kids that I was um, from another planet, and they believed me. <laughs> so yeah, but people look at it and they and they wince because they think, "Oh my God, you got your finger caught in a door." Yeah, but, but no, it's um, you know, in a weird way, it has kind of set the path for me because from the very very beginning, I was different. And I have a Hebrew name, which is different. So it made me incredibly comfortable with being different. You have a Hebrew name. That means Jewish? It was my father's mother's name. Okay. So it's a family name. All right. There are four other Adinas in my family. I and a first cousin are the only ones with the first name Adina. The other cousins have it as a middle name. My daughter's middle name is Adina. The family legend is that Jews escaped persecution and went to Portugal. Portugal colonialized Sierra Leone. And so that's how the name got to Sierra Leone. Okay. And what's your ancestry? Can I ask you that? Father born and raised in Sierra Leone, mother raised in... And when, when did he come to the U.S.? The 50s. Okay. He met my mother in Bermuda, where she was raised. Yeah. 
and then they came together to the states so to to pursue to pursue a better life and sell cars my father was working for mg at the time in england and then they sent him to an mg plant in bermuda and then he was working for plymouth as a mechanic here in the states and then he got a managerial position at Mercedes-Benz and then became the first service the first African American service manager of Mercedes-Benz. Okay. Fantastic. Yep. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Were you good in school? I was very good in school. I had a problem I'm taking tests. So I would be very good with my schoolwork and then freak out when it was time to take tests. and my parents took me to a therapist to see if they could help me with my nerves. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that I then pick a career where in order to get the job I have to be tested. Do you still have problems with nervousness? I guess no. I care about every audition that I go on even ones that aren't a big deal. So I can feel nerves, but I interpret them as being excited. as being invested so I know how to handle my nerves. You told me earlier that mm-hmm. you started acting at a really young age. Do you know why? No. I've always wanted to be an actor. I don't know where that came from. Because you, there's no one in your family or so? That, no. 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 Except I know that your father what your father did, but what's a typical porter? job. My mom was a nurse, registered nurse. Her sister, Aunt Mildred. I guess they they aren't named Porter. But uh, no, they were they were Price. Okay. But my mom took my father's name. Aunt Mildred was the head of education in Bermuda. She was knighted by the Queen three times, so she was Dame Mildred Bean. Oh. My father's brother was the head of Farabe College in Sierra Leone. He's a Cambridge man. So education, I guess, were was the family business. A lot of people were in education. Okay. And what do your sisters do for a living? My sister Joanne is a teacher and my younger sister Kimberly is a banker. She works at um Goldman Sachs. So you were sort of a, an odd bird in a way because you are the only one with a artistic job? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
You always wanted to be an actor. What were your dreams? Was it sort of fame or? I don't think so. I enjoy being recognized on the street, but still, yeah, yeah. But only because when people come up to me, they have this a bit of a, an emotional response, and I think it's because of whatever particular character they are referencing. It touched them, and so I've always been fascinated by why humans do what they do, and I think that came from my parents fighting. I was like, why, you know, why are they fighting? And it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like, they was, it wasn't violent. I mean, I wasn't like hiding underneath the bed or anything like that. It was just two adults having this heated conversation. And I always wondered why humans, what affects you? What, 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 what pushes your buttons? What, how do you communicate? How do you not communicate? How do you make amends? How do you not make amends? I think if I wasn't an actor, I would be a therapist. Why we do what we do, why we make the choices that we make. And I very much like exploring that as different characters. Mm. And what were they fighting about? <laughs> oh, I guess they both have different expectations of what the roles that one's supposed to play. I think sometimes people drink the Kool-Aid about what a family is supposed to be, you know, what mothers are supposed to do, what fathers are supposed to do. Did you say drink the Kool-Aid? Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, it's a reference. Okay. Yeah. There was a cult. Okay. Jones. Jim Jones, I think his name was. And he was a charismatic leader. And I think this was in South America. He had a, a colony of people who believed in his particular religion, and it was this this cult. And there was a mass suicide with poison Kool Aid, and everyone drank the Kool Aid and then died. And they thought that by dying they were going to go to this particular place, this particular. Yvana. So the expression drink the Kool-Aid means that you're agreeing, you're agreeing to believe in a particular fantasy. And so, you know, being a married person yourself, I think that we have these ideas of what marriage is supposed to be. I think that because of just my parents are from a different generation. So I don't think they I don't think they went into a marriage to go, okay, you're going to be my soulmate and together we are going to explore life and you're going to make me a better me and I'm going to make you a better you, which was, I think, more the definition of the kind of marriage that I had. I think my parents came from a generation where it was like, you got to pair up because that's what we do. We got to get good jobs because we got to survive. And you have a good job. I have a good job. Let's let's pair up together and let's, you know, tackle this this world. They didn't have the option of picking jobs that were what's going to feed my soul. It was more like what's going to pay the bills. Yeah. I think my mom had this idea that a man takes care of the wife and the wife takes care of the children. And it was kind of this American, either father knows best or 
I don't know whether the kind of TV shows there were where of a happy American family. And, you know, that wasn't true. That's not, that's, that's the Kool-Aid. That's the fake. And instead of just trying to kind of figure out who I am, my mother and who my father is, my father, and self-exploration, I think it's a little bit easier to kind of point the finger at one's mate and go, I'm not happy because you're not doing this. And so I think that they both kind of, it's easier to kind of point the finger at each other and go, I'm not happy. Do this. I'm not happy. You do that. Instead of going, why am I not happy? Why did I pick this person as a mate? What can I do differently to change the situation? But they'd stick together. Yeah. It's expensive to get divorced. I think they're also from a different, a different culture where it was frowned upon to get divorced. As well as they had three children. So it wasn't quite honestly... Who cares if you're unhappy? You have three children to raise, so you raise them. And I am appreciative of that because it would have been harder for them to have separated on um, my sisters and I. But they, they stayed together. Were you popular in school? I, in, high, in elementary school, I used to steal money from my mother's purse to buy candy and hence buy friends. So in that way, I was not popular, but tried to become popular. Mm. In high school... Have you told her that? Oh, she found out. She saw the money was missing. And it was a horrible, horrible day when she found that out. And, you know, stealing is not a good thing. And I think I kind of blanked out the punishment that I got. But then I also got an allowance after that because it was like, okay, you need money, then let's earn it. In high school, I was not popular because my beauty has become fashionable. I don't, th I don't think it was fashionable when I was in high school. And I didn't come from a theater family. And in my school, if you came from an art family, that made you cool. If you lived in Manhattan, that made you cool. I was a bridge and tunnel kid, which meant you had to take a bridge or a tunnel to get to your home. So that did not make me cool. I was a virgin in high school, which was not cool because there were some kids, I don't know if they really were virgins or not virgins, but they talked about sex. I remember doing Lysistrata, you know, which is a play where everyone is not having sex so that the war can stop. And I did not have any, and they're all talking about, you know, sex, and I did not have a reference to that because... I was still a virgin, which I am very, 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 very happy about. Did you know that there is a solution to virginess, that it can be cured? <laughs> But I, I think it should be cured when people are adults and they know what they're doing. And it can be amazing and enjoyable instead of doing it because of uh, peer pressure. Yeah. Sounds great. Very good. <laughs> you were a smart child. I was, all, I was a smart child, and there was one rule that my parents made very clear. Don't come home pregnant. And it was also, as African Americans, it was about being educated, going off to college, having a career, being successful. And if you were a teenager and you came home pregnant, that was stereotypical 
It's what white people who talk badly about the race expected of you. So it was just something that if we did, it would be thought of as a, a, a mark against the success of African-Americans. So in my particular house, that was just what was, that was, that was the rules. So college educated, successful, pregnant would be seen as a failure on my parents' part. Did you experience racism growing up? I experienced racism, but in a way where I had to kind of catch myself. Was that racist? <laughs> like I, I, um, my sisters and I were the only black kids at some summer camps. And I remember someone wanting to nickname me Buckwheat. And Buckwheat was a character from Little Rascals. And that was a derogatory name. And I have a beautiful name, so I did not want to be called Buckwheat. So <laughs> I didn't make them. I didn't, I didn't let them call me that. I did not think I was beautiful because I didn't look like the white people I saw on television. And I remember once bike riding in college. I went for a bike ride or something like that with some friends. And we were, it was getting kind of late And we wanted to get like a hotel or a motel because they didn't want to bike at night. And the owner of the motel said, no, I don't want to rent to you because I want my place to be clean. And I remember kind of when we biked away thinking, why would he think that we would not keep the place clean? We always left a hotel clean because when my family would go to Cape Cod and stay at hotels and motels, why would he? Oh, he thought I wouldn't be clean because he's making assumptions about black people. So that's the kind of racism. Like it kind of took me a minute. Oh, that was a racist. Ex that was a racist comment. I just experienced racism. Oh, okay. So nothing with like life threatening and nothing that stopped me from getting whatever I want. Just more of a, took me a second to go, well, that wasn't a very nice thing to say. This comes from ignorance. Okay. But did the Cosby show have a great influence on, for instance, you or fame, as you mentioned? I mean, because as I've understood it in popular culture, African-Americans weren't, they were typically not included. Mm -hmm. Or if they were depicted they were drug dealers or they were the prostitutes or they were the maids. Yeah. There's not a day go by that I don't appreciate being an actor in 2014 because of all the various different kind of roles that I get to play. And when many times when I audition for things, I'm auditioning and it's the role could be a white male or a black female or a Hispanic woman or a Asian man. I mean, you know, it can be all that. So when you're in the room and it's the police chief, you're looking around and it could be anybody. Did the Cosby show make a difference? Absolutely. Because um, the television and movies, you know, in a very, and sometimes in a subtle way and a not so subtle way, can change people's perspective, can change people's their impressions. And so all over the country, then all over the world, 
people were introduced to a African-American family where they're not struggling. They're not talking about what the white man has done to them today. They're not even concerned about white people. They are living their lives. They are going after their dreams. And I think to non-black people, it was like, oh, we didn't know that was going on. And to black people, it was either A, pride, or B, a reminder that, yeah, we could do whatever we want to do. I mean, on the treadmill today or on the Stairmaster today, I look at, there's a, a morning TV show. It used to be Regis and Kathy Lee. And now it is, I can't remember the names of the people. You can look it up. The, the, the folks who are now doing the morning show on ABC. But it is a small, blonde, white woman and a very big, tall, black man who are the host of this show. And they walk out hand in hand and they smile and they talk about, quite honestly, lots of silly things on the uh, that's happening in America these days. And, and this show is not just being broadcast in urban cities. This show is being broadcast all over the country. And, and obviously, Procter & Gamble and all other companies that put commercials on this show are comfortable with this duo. There was a time when there was no way in H-E-L-L that a gigantic black man could walk out onto a TV station holding the hand of a little blonde girl. That would have brought shivers up the minds of various different people because that was the gigantic stereotype that lynching was about, that black men were hung, hung from trees was, for, was about, that there was an idea that they could, they could rape, they could hurt white women. The singer Nat King Cole was instructed when he would sing to white audiences, make sure that you sing over the heads of your white patrons. Do not make eye contact with your white patrons because that would be considered a threat. And how dare you? And not a day goes by when I don't look at that TV show and I'm like, whoa, how we have come. That's just fantastic that it is not about race with those. I mean, it is about race, but, but the entire country is comfortable with a silly morning talk show where a gigantic black man and a tiny little white woman walk out hand in hand. Sort of depresses me that you are happy about that because it should be natural. No, it's not because it's history. I mean, you know. I know, but I mean, it's 2014. But, but, you know, you don't get to know about other people unless you get to experience other people. And we're all born with prejudice. None of us are born colorblind. And I, I think it's great to be aware of one's limitations and one's preconceptions about race, about sexuality, about, about differences, and then grow from it. 
what a boring world we would live in if we all got along and just kind of believe that we're all equal. It doesn't, we, we wouldn't learn from that. We all have history. And so I think we learn more from being aware of our history, accepting it, apologizing for it sometimes, and then maybe also learning from it. I used to make an assumption that all white people liked rock and roll. And I would, I would talk about like rock and roll, which was like to a white person to kind of go so we can be friends. And that's ridiculous. Not all white people like rock and roll. But I made that assumption. So uh, how would you bring that into our conversation now, that, that you like rock and roll? I would ask questions and see what you like. And, or, or, or I would find common ground, like okay. we did this morning. We found common ground because we're both parents, and we kind of go from there. Yeah. So I just don't assume, okay, you're a white guy, you probably like rock and roll, uh, you know okay. what I mean? Would you like, uh, so did you hear the new Chuck Berry <laughs> album? <laughs> I don't know. I just would. I just remembered assumptions that I would make. I remember the first time I met a Palestinian because I remember I, I used to travel as a kid when you know when in between college, yeah. and I treated that person like crap because I just assumed he was a terrorist. I just assumed, just like that person assumed that I would leave the hotel dirty because I'm black. Yeah. I assumed this person could not be trusted because of the country that he was raised in. I, I, I don't remember the person's name. I probably could never pick him out in a crowd. But if he's listening, I apologize. I met him in um, in Venice. Yeah. Could you describe, like, do you have a normal week sometimes? No. No, you don't. I don't, which is great. I never know what the week is going to bring. My husband used to be annoyed about how quickly that I would answer the phone. You know, if the phone rang, no matter what we were doing or what we were talking about, I interrupted, jumped up, and ran for the phone. And it could be a cell phone, it could be right by me. And I remember him being like, what's the problem, Adina? Relax. You know, they can leave a message. No. It could be anything. And and I cannot remember how many times plans changed for the day because an audition came in. An audition that could then take me somewhere else, whether it's to a different state or country because of work or a different state of mind because I'm now going to explore myself as a warrior. I'm now going to explore myself as a um, alcoholic, born-again Christian, or I'm now going to explore myself as a heroin addict or this this character smokes, so I have to start feeling comfortable smoking. So I, some people still say to me, aren't you glad it's Friday? Here comes the weekend. And I'm not as excited about the weekend because the phone doesn't ring as often on the weekends. It sounds a little bit like you're still sort of struggling in a way. Yeah. I have to audition for my jobs. I don't, I don't, I don't get offered the role. I mean, I've, I've gotten offered a few times. A few times. But no, I still have to prove myself. Most definitely. I'm a working actor, not a name. Are you I'm... tired of that? No. But would you prefer not to go to auditions? Of course you would. No, 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 no. Because um, if I'm going to embrace this career for the long term, 
then you're going to have to embrace all the parts of this career for a long term. And auditioning is part of this business. Auditioning keeps you sharp. Auditioning is the best kind of acting class. So even if I don't get the role, preparing for the role, going in and having to perform under pressure, which is what an audition is about, keeps you sharp. I rather prove to myself and to the producers at the audition that I can do the part than arrive the first day and not be too sure about what choices I want to make and if the producers are going to be happy with it and the cameras are rolling. I want to know once I'm on the set that everybody is incredibly happy that I'm here and let's do it. Do you write uh, stuff yourself as well? Nope. Mm -mm. You don't want to do that either? Maybe one day, but with a seven and four year old, I don't have time for that. No. <laughs> And would you like to sort of direct some at some point? You know, I thought about that for the first time today. Because, oh, you did? Yeah, I met with someone yesterday. We talked about an actor who is now directing. And I saw an episode of a TV show last night, and I saw the director was an actor whose work I admired. And so, who was um, that? Paul McCrane. Okay. And I thought, hey, good for you, Paul. Good for you. And I thought about that for... Um, you know, the future. So I just, for the first time, thought about it. My plan for when I'm, when the the phone is not ringing as often was real estate. So I have, I'm a landlord. I, I own three different properties. Here in here, LA? Here in, in California. Yeah. Okay. But who knows? Maybe. That's very good to know, by the way. Yeah. Maybe in the future directing. Because I, like I said before, I like dissecting how people think. And I've been asked by a couple of actors, do you teach? And I go, no, no. But they appreciated the way that I explained to, it was a situation where they were a guest star coming in. I've been doing the show for a couple of episodes. So I was able to kind of explain to them the world that we're in, which helped them a little bit more become more familiar and comfortable with with the show because they just they just were arriving and I I've, I've been here a while. And so I thought, okay, maybe maybe I do know how to communicate to actors and maybe that might be something that I would want to pursue. Good. That's a good backup plan. Now you have two. Yes. Real yes, estate yes. and directing. You got to have a backup plan cuz life throws these curveballs. <laughs> What would you need to become sort of happy work-wise? I always like knowing that there's another project down the pike. And do you have that now? Well, I know I'm in... I, I leave on Sunday, so I, I know I'm in that episode of The 100. I don't know if I'm going to be in the next episode, but the year has been a good year, so that if I'm not in the episode after that, it means that I am home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that's not bad. Okay. You said that your beauty wasn't in fashion when you grew up. Mm -hmm. When did it become in fashion? I mean, I'm I'm not 
into fashion. So I don't know, remember exactly when it became fashionable. I'm going to say within the last five years uh-huh. has my particular look become considered gorgeous. When I was growing up and starting in this business, I was classified as not all-American, which was code for you don't have white features. Okay, and, so so that was something to strive for. Right, right, right. And I did try to, to do that. How do you do that? By wearing wigs and okay. looking like my hair was like more straight, Caucasian. Right. Straightening mm-hmm. your hair and so forth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And maybe when doing one's makeup, kind of, elongating the nose so it looked a little bit more narrow. And all those things are, for me anyway, trying hard to put myself in a mold and why not just enjoy the frame that you're already in. And so I've been doing that as well as when you're a mom, I have so little time for grooming that, and it takes such long, hard work to straighten one's hair and all that kind of nonsense that I just, I remember bathing my son and saying to him with a straight face, don't splash mommy's hair. And before I could finish the R sound, I was like, what did you just say, Adina? And then the next day I cut my hair and been wearing it natural ever since. I mean, I wore it natural before I was a mom. I used to shave my head. I've got a good, a good face. <laughs> But I'm, I, I'm happy that you say that. <laughs> you, you seem confident about yourself. I have done a lot of self-work yeah. on myself. Yeah. And then I've also have been very, very lucky that... I'm able to look around and see other images of myself that are beautiful. I remember traveling around Burkina Faso in West Africa. And I wanted to go see a movie just because I wanted to be entertained. And I went and I saw White Orchid starring Lisa Bonet. And it was in French. It was dubbed in French because of where I was. So I could not understand what people were saying, but all I could see were the images. I think that was the name of the movie. And the main, and I, and I remember, because I've been traveling around in West Africa for a while and seeing all these incredibly gorgeous faces and gasping at how beautiful Uh, all these women were, and loving that I could look at this woman and steal that idea from her for about fashion and that idea from her about fashion and that idea about her, about the way, way she wore her hair. So it was like a smorgasbord of all these different faces and, and, and hairstyles that I could steal from and achieve instead of what I was used to, which was looking at magazines seeing images, cutting them out, taking them to the hairstylist. And when I would go get my hair done and her looking at me and rolling her eyes thinking, you really think I can do that? Do you know to your hair? Let's see how close we can get. So loving that I could really just, I could, I could look like that. I could look like that. Ooh, I could steal that idea. I could steal that idea. And then going to this movie and watching it And the main character, I remember, wore white and looked 
pristine and beautiful. And the other characters wore lots of colors and, and grotesque colors. And everyone was looking sweaty and and unattractive and very sexual, but in an, an unsexy way. And I remember my my mind going, oh, I wish I could look like, but then I caught myself. I caught myself. I didn't drink the Kool-Aid that time. And it felt really, really good to be just aware of that. So to answer your question, there was a magazine cover, and I think it was Vogue, and it might have been, my children weren't born yet, so maybe it was more like 10 years ago. And I was at the supermarket with another actress, Gina Torres. We were just buying something. And there was this beautiful, I don't know if she's African or African-American model. Dark, 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 dark face. She wore this white kind of snow puff kind of hood. So it must have been a winter issue. And her beautiful wide nose, her beautiful wide lips. And I remember screaming in the supermarket when I saw that magazine cover. I embarrassed Gina a little bit. She said, girl, what's your problem? And she also saw, and she gasped, but she didn't scream. I screamed. And I remember jumping up and down and like pointing, 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 pointing. And, and, and it was just such a, look at that. Look at, look at her beauty being celebrated. Look at her beauty being celebrated. And I could look like that. So that was sort of a turning point. Yeah. Maybe I won't get a weave again. Yeah, maybe I will wear my hair natural. Yeah. You are incredibly beautiful. Thank you. I was thinking about the the fact that you have been doing uh, some work with uh, doing commercials. Does that affect your credibility as an actor at all? Maybe at one time. There used to be a thing where there were theater actors... There were television actors and there were movie stars. And movie stars didn't do television because that was a down, that was that was a step down. Yeah. But look at HBO. There was a time when and, and and who knows, maybe you know, certain movie stars can only do voiceovers on on commercials. But I think it's now, maybe after the recession, things like that, it's about having a long career. And having a long career means all different kinds of work. And I love when I turn on Angelina Ballerina for my little girl who loves to watch that cartoon about dancing mice, that one of the voices of those dancing mice is Judy Dench. I have not heard feedback from any of my people, whether it's actors, I mean, managers or, or publicists or, or agents going, well, Edina, you did not get, we couldn't get you in to audition for this particular role because they saw your Bank of America commercial. You know, to be quite honest, the same person who cast me in the social network 
cast me in a Liberty Mutual, which is an insurance commercial that ran like crazy. Pays bills. Yeah, it does. I mean, I I am not at the point where I want to do a um, Viagra commercial. I personally would turn down a commercial about women's underwear for against incontinence only because I'm kind of passionate about women's health and I do Kegel exercises and I tell everybody else to do Kegel exercises so that you can build up your pelvic muscles to for childbirth, stronger orgasms, and against incontinence. So I rather promote that than promote using Depends. Would you like to recommend something? The newsroom? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm very, really proud of being part of the newsroom. So we have begun the final season. The first episode has aired last Sunday, and what a roller coaster ride that was. So I'm really proud of that and enjoying that. And uh, I'm also having a blast on the 100. I sure you have. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you can't self-promote on this <laughs> I can? question. Okay. Well, now you have. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but could you give us a, re- a recommendation of something that you're not in, involved but in? that you perhaps enjoy I strongly believe in kegels so if you're um, if women if you're at a stoplight you know you just you just squeeze your pelvic muscles as if you're stopping a stream of urine and you hold 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 and release and you continue doing that and and that's a way to f- perform kegel exercises and strengthen it and then you graduate and you get vaginal muscle, vaginal weights, and you in, and and there's these little balls that you can get, and they're they're different sizes, and you and and you start with the the lightest one until you can keep it inside your body and hold it inside your body as you're traveling around and all those kind of things, and then you move to the next size and the next size. I'm in the middle size now, and this is all about strengthening those muscles. So you do that every day, or you do that every day. So yep. you, you have no, not right now. Okay. So because you you want you want to get to a point where you can leave the house with them. So I I've moved on to the next level, and so I have not gotten to the point where I can leave the house with the muscles. I mean with the, with the weights. So, but I insert the weight, and you can you know while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm folding the clothes, while I am working on the computer, while I am cleaning the house. I'm a mom. I love to multitask. So I am getting all my work done, but I am also strengthening my pelvic muscles. I guess that, I mean, the first exercise that you suggested while peeing, I can do that also. The one with the weights is going to be tougher. It's for women only. Yeah, Yeah. that's going to be tough. (laughs) Who do you think I should interview in my podcast? That's your phone, right? It's not a problem. I'm sorry, I don't know who that was. And I thought I turned it off, but I actually answered it. But then I, you know, I, I, I keep it on so I could hear it just in case it's school. It's, it's my son's school and my daughter's school saying, we need you. Or and, and then you have to get up and go. An audition. Well, or an agent. Well, if it was my, an audition, my, my team knows where I am. So okay. That, that's okay. Once I was doing True Blood... And we were shooting and uh, get a phone call from the old pair. They've been in a car accident. Okay. 
Yeah, it was a fender bender, but still incredibly scary. I was on location far, far away. True Blood, man, they they rallied. They used my stand-in to do another blocking rehearsal while I got on the phone and spoke with my old pair, making sure she was okay, called the insurance company, have them call the au pair, called a friend to pick up my daughter from the school, all these things that you need to do. And I remember the second AD saying, because we're away, we can send someone from the production office to the scene so that they can help you there if if you wanted. And I, I said, no, I think we're okay. But that's the kind of family that we were. And we did the scene, got it done, and everybody else, because they're all a bunch of parents on the set, were like, are Jack and Jordan okay? Yeah. And they were. So, yeah, I, before I was a widow, I did not bring my phone to set because my husband handled everything. But um, once I became a widow, I, I keep the phone with me. Of course. That's totally fine. And it hasn't been disturbing my super <laughs> delicate equipment either. Cool. But who should you interview? Are you friends with uh, Alexander Skarsgård? I mean... Um, you don't hang out. No, but I I don't hang out, you know, I mean, because I'm a mom, yeah. but I've gone to quite a few parties with him, you know, being part of the group or brunches that uh, True Blood would host. So at a brunch, you know, at Steve and Anna's house, we would, you know, I've had lovely conversations with Alex or, you know, at the bar. I think my husband had a male crutch on Alex, which is not surprising. And they would talk about working out and diets and things like that. I think if I saw him at, you know, out and about, we would, you know, give each other hugs. But, you know, I don't have him on speed dial. I was just curious. <laughs> He's a fellow Swede, you know? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Anyway, who would you like me to interview here on my show? Sandra Rhymes. The writer, producer, what a fantastic journey and ride she's experiencing right now. Very good. She's fierce. She owns Thursday night television. Thursday owns it. I mean, there's so many shows now that we DVR and, you know, and we get to it. I do like to, on Thursdays, I kind of go, okay, what am I doing Thursday night? Do I get to watch it live? Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was great meeting you. It was lovely talking to you and meeting you as well. Thank you very much for your interest in me. You seem like a fantastic person. I guess I am. Yeah, you are. <laughs> That's Adina Porter. I, well, as I said, I loved her and I hope that you did too. If you want to discuss Varvet, by the way, please use the hashtag VarvetPod. And that's also our username, both on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, there's a beautiful picture, if I may say so myself. I took it on our Instagram account. So go check that out. Say something nice about the episode. I would appreciate that. Okay, I'll be back in two weeks. Talk to you then. And now I would like to thank the people involved. It's uh, myself. I'm Christopher Triumph, my editor, Christina Jolingbiro, and our fantastic editor and also 
the guest editor for this episode, Lovisa Olsson. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.